Welcome to Therapeutic Approach to Growth with your host, Brooke Wagner. Each week, this program will focus on interests and expertise pertaining to special needs individuals and their families. We'll help you open up and connect while sharing powerful information. Now, here is Brooke Wagner. Welcome, everyone, to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. I am host, Brooke Wagner, and our goal of the show is to offer support and resources and, most importantly, hope to the special needs community. And today, I have with me autism advocate and expert in supported typing, Nancy Brady, and we will be discussing her inspirational story and journey as a mom to her son with autism, Nick, and how she has guided him to use supported typing as a means to communicate. So, welcome. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you, Brooke. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm so excited to be here today and have this opportunity to talk more with you about this kind of communication. Um, I know I've seen such amazing results with a few of our clients here at TAG, and it's it's something that's somewhat new to us um, in the last few years. And um, we're just really excited to learn more about what you've experienced and what you've done and, and um, what you've learned through this process. So I'd love to... Um, start with taking us back to the beginning and um, and learning more um, about um, your background and your experience. Well, I think first and foremost is I am a mom. And I think to me that's the most important thing. It's the perspective that I think I enter into, you know, all avenues of autism with as a mom. And I guess the, the story starts really at one of Nick's IEP meetings. I want to say it was like first grade, somewhere in that range. And he was a little guy, and we already had had known that he could spell and could type and was reading and um, had a lot going on. He just wasn't able to um, communicate it to us in the traditional sense of verbal language. So we kind of knew that. And at this IEP meeting, uh, the the, the letters following everybody's names that were sitting around the table were very daunting. It was very intimidating that you had all these, quote, experts, you know, that had all this background and all these letters after their names, and they all thought they knew my son better than I did or my husband. And we were the parents. We know him better than they did. But yet they had this attitude at our IEP meeting that just drove me crazy. So I literally started the journey with, well, I can get letters after my name, too. And so that's what I did is I actually went back to, to school to get my master's in special education. And, I'm, you know, I think at that point, they, they kind of realized that they had a, a formidable opponent at that IEP table um, who was truly advocating for Nick and what his needs were at that time. And, and that kind of started our journey. Um, and it's been a journey of inclusion a journey of, you know, communication and um, a journey of always learning. And I think that, you know, the minute that anybody calls themselves an expert, I question it because I think Nick is the true expert in autism. So I, I defer to him and I learn from him rather than anybody else who, you know, claims that title. Does that make sense? It does. I does. And I completely agree. And, and I think we can learn so much, you know, from our, our clients that we work with here at TAG and um, that, you know, have autism and, you know, they just bring so much to the table. And if we allow ourselves to be available to seeing that, we really can learn and grow a lot. And it's, you know, it's such an important perspective to have. So It really is because I think, you know, Nick's disability 
is just that it's a different ability. Um, mm-hmm. He experiences the world differently than perhaps somebody, um, a, a neurotypical type people. Um, mm-hmm. He just experiences the world differently. He's much more sensitive to sounds and noises. More sensitive, I think, is just kind of the way uh, in general that I could describe it. And it's made all of us and our family very aware of that as well. So when we go out with, with Nick or even when I go out by myself, I'm much more aware of crowds and noises and people and hustling and bustling. And um, I think just Nick's different perspective on life um, is, is truly a great lesson for us all. So we've been very fortunate in that regard. That's beautiful. I love that. And um, along this journey with Nick, you discovered uh, this type of uh, supported uh, typing, and um, it would be wonderful to hear more about what you what got you interested in that and the training you've received over the years as you've been learning about supported typing and what that looks like for Nick. You bet. It, it started again when he was little. We were doing, and this was back in, in the year 2000 because Nick is 19 now. So we're back in, you know, the beginning stages, um, and ABA was the, was the thing. And the LOVAS mm-hmm. study, you know, 40 hours a week of ABA on these little three-year-olds, you know, that was what you, I was reading. Um, mm-hmm. There was, I, I mean, I actually got out when he received his autism diagnosis in 2000. I actually got out the yellow pages and looked up autism in the yellow pages. That's wow. where it was back then. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. has yellow pages anymore. <laughs> But there really wasn't much other than, oh, you need 40 hours a week of ABA. And, you know, of course, we were on it. <laughs> we're like, mm-hmm. okay, let's program, get people in here. You know, the poor kid just, uh, you know, had, had a revolving door of, of therapists and tutors coming in. And uh, we were doing a lot of discrete trial type stuff at the time. And Nick just checked out. It was just, um, you know, very rote. Um, he was bored. There was a lot of compliance stuff. You know, we, one of his drills was good sitting. <laughs> and we right. Had to, like, actually make him sit because I, I just didn't know. I look back on it and I wanted to just, you know, hit myself in the head. Like, what was I thinking? But mm-hmm. uh, for Nick, you know, he thinks better when he's moving. Yeah. Right. They were making him sit. It was just, it's backwards. This was, again, many years ago. I think we've come a long way. But, um, with his ABA drills, one of the things you do when you're three is you learn your colors. And you're supposed to, you know, give me yellow and point to yellow and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. he just wasn't doing it. And we're thinking colors. And, and Nick had a little bit of language. It was functional language. Um, so he wasn't completely nonverbal. Um, mm-hmm. He could say words. He had a lot of echolalia and mm-hmm. could repeat and I would ask him things like, you know, what, what color M&M do you want? And he would say red, blue, yellow, green, purple, you know, whatever. He just right. said it. No, no intent behind his language um, as far as, as we knew at that point. And so we went to his doctor. She was a, an autism specialist, a developmental pediatrician. And, and during one of her, uh, our, our sessions with her, and Nick always came, my husband and I as well, and we, I said, you know, I am convinced he's colorblind. There's just no reason. <laughs> he cannot get through. He's colorblind. And she it was in her office. She said, Nancy, he's not colorblind. Uh, let's, let's try this. And she had an alpha smart, which is um, a communicative device, kind of like the precursor to perhaps an iPad. It was non-electronic, no voice output, but it was pretty durable. For a three-year-old, it was great. 
and mm-hmm. giving him some uh, support, backwards resistance. In other words, she wasn't guiding his fingers to any of the letters on the keyboard, but she was giving him op- oppositional resistance. She mm-hmm. asked him, what color is that teacup that you're holding? And it was a little tiny plastic teacup. And he typed B-L-U, and then she said, not finish, finish, and then he typed the E. And we wow. all fell out of our chairs because he knew his colors. He just wasn't mm-hmm. able to communicate that he knew his colors. And mm-hmm. by typing, he was able to tell us that not only did he know his colors, he could spell them, and that all mm-hmm. of this day that we had been doing where we were pairing, you know, the, the word with the color, he was mm-hmm. learning to read and spell at this time. And he was probably about four years old when we discovered this. Wow. And that was the beginning of of our journey with teaching him to type and to communicate that way. It wow, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Pretty Thank amazing goodness car. that, you know, she had that wherewithal to be able to show you that and and give you that gift of awareness. <laughs> it's it's really true. And and then we in turn, you know, shared it with his team, you know, at one of our our team meetings for um his program that he had here at the house and all of the tutors almost fell out of his chair and we realized, <laughs> and this was all basic stuff. Look, it, I mean, he wasn't typing like huge sentences, but it was the basic things that we were teaching him in ABA and that he was learning at preschool. Um, a lot of visual sight words kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about a preschool classroom, you know how they label everything like mm-hmm. backpack and trash and, right. and chalkboard. Everything's labeled. You know, he's taking it all in. And I do remember um, one time many years later, we, we did a little um, a piece on how kids learn to read. And we asked several of the kids who, um, who typed to communicate, how did you first learn how to read? And I remember this, I memorized it basically because it was so profound to me. Nick said, uh, pieces of words were everywhere and I just knew. Mm-hmm. So that told me that he wasn't learning to read phonetically the way that they were teaching him in school. It was mm-hmm. those strong visual skills where he would see a word and know it. Right. And that's how his visual skills took over, and that's how he learned to read. So right. one of the best pieces of advice based on Nick's story is mm-hmm. put closed captioning on your television set. You know? mm-hmm. so <laughs> when he's watching Disney Channel, the words are there. So we've had closed captioning on our TVs for, you know, 15 years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, we labeled things all over the house. You know, I had my little yellow sticky notes, and mm-hmm. there were labels all over at the time. So mm-hmm. it's a great way to teach your kid how to how to learn sight words that way. Definitely, and it's very functional and meaningful and authentic. Um, yes, which is going to increase that motivation. Yeah, so that that makes a and, lot and, of sense. And, and bring you to you know higher level academic skills later in life. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that Absolutely. you can when you when you learn to spell. You're opening a world for a lot of these kids who are nonverbal. Um, text, the picture exchange communication system is mm-hmm. another way. But for some kids that have motorical challenges, movement disorders, even PECS is very challenging. Nick struggled with, you know, PECS for the limited amount of time that we tried it. He couldn't do it. He would, you know, grab the icons and throw them sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, his body wouldn't cooperate the way he wanted it to. And again, it wasn't because he didn't know what he wanted. He was just unable to motorically do it the way that system required. Right. And with supported typing and by teaching him to spell, 
he then learned how to request items that perhaps weren't on the choice board. Mm-hmm. And right. One story, a friend of ours who um, is an amazing typer, she learned pecs and was doing pecs, but again, it was whatever the therapist thought to put on her choice board were her options and mm-hmm. very limiting in that regard. Mm-hmm. And when she learned how to type, um, her mom asked her, what is it that you, you want? And she typed B-A-L-L-E-T. Oh. And she wanted, she wanted ballet lessons. And, well, why we, nobody thought to put that as a choice on her, you know, choice board. Who mm-hmm. knew, you know? Mm-hmm. Instead, it's juice, crackers, you know, goldfish or whatever. Right. <laughs> Please. her voice. <laughs> I mean, these right. are smart kids and these are smart humans, you know. Why wouldn't you want ballet lessons? So exactly. I just think the sooner we can teach our kids to, to spell and use sight words, um, the better it's going to be in the long run. Absolutely. And I know you mentioned um, a movement disorder. I know a lot of professionals talk about autism as being a movement disorder. So can you share a little bit more about um, what they're referring to? Yes. Um, it's, it's Not everybody knows about this, but I think it's so huge. And for so many kids, it explains so much, and adults as well. But basically, it's the body not cooperating with the brain. So intent is there. I, you know, I want to get up and go, you know, and go put my shoes on. The intent is there because I know that as soon as I can do that, I get to go in the car, do whatever, you know, we're going to go do. But mm-hmm. when it gets to the execution part of it, um, it's lost because mm-hmm. the body's not cooperating with the brain. And so you have this movement disorder. There's actually quite a bit of research on this as well, but it affects all areas of life from physical movement, like, okay, I know I need to put my shoes on, but I can't make my body do it, Mm -hmm. or I really want to go into that classroom because I know it's going to be great when I go in there. I just can't get through the door. My body won't do it, and Mm -hmm. I want to, but I'm struggling. For whatever reason, it's not working. Um, To speech as a movement disorder, where Mm -hmm. I know I want to tell my mom that I want french fries, but instead, the only thing coming out is oatmeal. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's giving me oatmeal, and I don't want oatmeal. I want french fries. But my, my body is not cooperating with my brain. And yeah. so I think speech is a, is a huge part of it. A lot of times with um, speech as a movement disorder, you get unreliable language where you're saying things that mm-hmm. you don't intend. And so, again, the execution part of it um, is lost, um, you know, along the pathway. <laughs> Um, emotions would be another one where, you know, I, I see my sister fall down and, and cry because she fell off her bike and I laugh. I don't mm-hmm. mean to laugh because I know laughing is, is not, you know, the appropriate emotion, but I can't control my body. It does, you know, whatever it wants to. And I think that's kind of the most basic way to understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And then it comes into, you know, choice making. So, you know, go back, in, go back to the, to the PEC system where, you know, you're supposed to be making choices or, you know, even in school pointing to the correct answer. And if your body is not cooperating, then assumptions are made that perhaps you don't want this or perhaps you don't know mm-hmm. this. Right. And, and that's where we got stuck, you know, in, in our initial ABA when Nick was little is, you know, we thought he didn't know his colors because he couldn't point to them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I have to share with you, there was a, um, a video that, that Nick did. We videotaped a lot of his sessions when he was little. And there's a, um, a video where his ABA therapist had, I think, three items on the counter because we were at that point teaching colors based on, you know, oranges are always orange. Bananas are always yellow. Limes are always green. <laughs> so we were asking mm-hmm. point to yellow, and he kept grabbing the orange. Point mm-hmm. to yellow, kept grabbing the orange. And you could, you know, and then the, the, the therapist was like, nope, let's try again. And then you just see his eyes glaze over, and he checks out in this little video clip. Mm-hmm. And so I asked him later, I said, Nick, what was going on? Why, why didn't you grab the, the lemon or whatever it was, the yellow thing? And he said, you know, he typed something to the effect of, I knew what it was and I knew that it was there, but my body just kept grabbing the orange and, and tutors thought that I didn't know the answer, but I really was trying to be nice to them on those days. And I just had to laugh because he was trying so hard, his body just didn't cooperate. That's just, I mean, that's a perfect example of how much information he can offer, you know, and how incredible you know, now that he's able to really communicate that, that you're learning from him, as you mentioned earlier, and, you know, poor thing. I mean, what comes to my mind is how incredibly frustrating that must have felt, um, you know, and, and, you know, having to experience that. Yeah, I can only imagine. And again, hindsight, as I look back on this, and I think, oh, what, you know, and uh, now I have to say, at that point, we did kind of switch gears with our ABA therapy, and we switched more to, you know, the floor time RDI kind of approach at that time, mm-hmm. and it was much more engaging um, program, you know, when we followed his lead and, you know, worked on building relationships, and, and to this right. day, you know, he's a great friend and a great, you know, the relationships are important to him, and uh, he's very loving, very empathetic, and I think that's because, you know, we stopped all that Great. Right. <laughs> right. It's an amazing journey. It's an amazing journey. And um, yeah. we're going to have to take a quick break. But when we come back, uh, I would love to hear um, more about what these kind, this type of uh, approach looks like um, so we can help our listeners learn more. Um, and uh, with that, we're going to take a quick break. But we will be right back in a few minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At Therapeutic Approach to Growth, we offer comprehensive and holistic supports to individuals with developmental and acquired disabilities. Our programs include parent education and guidance, speech therapy, occupational therapy, educational and behavioral support, and counseling. We assume competence and believe in treating the entire family system. We offer both in-person and long-distance services. We support our clients in any environment, from home to school and beyond. Mention this show for a free consultation. To learn more, you can reach us at tagforgrowth.com. Therapeutic Approach to Growth. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also reach Brooke Wagner via email to bwagner at tagforgrowth.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm host Brooke Wagner here, and I have um, with me autism advocate and expert in supported typing, Nancy Brady. And we are discussing her inspirational story and journey as a mom to her son with autism, Nick, and how she has guided him to use supported typing as a means to communicate. And uh, right before the break, we touched on um, coming back and learning more about what this type of communication looks like. And I know, Nancy, you have extensive of training and augmentative communication and supported typing. And I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about what these approaches look like. Um, Absolutely. Uh, I think when when you're thinking about assistive technology, um, it can be something as low-tech as a whiteboard where you can, you know, write choices and the, the user would point to whatever choice it is, um, all the way up to, like, the iPad which um, has voice output. You can uh, use a device like that with a key guard over it. So for a lot of users that might not have control to touch type on the little letters, um, you can put key guards over these iPads as well. So there's a range of assistive technology devices um, that can be used to teach supported typing. Um, and, and it varies for the environment too. So for instance, if you're at the pool, I'm not going to take the iPad but I might take a letterboard or a whiteboard and do choice making on that. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Now, so, would you have the clients learn various boards and diff- different methods to communicate so that you can be flexible based on where you are? Well, yes, but you don't necessarily learn the boards. You're actually um, teaching them literacy skills, you know, okay. as they grow. So you want to, you know, read to them. You want to have, you know, practice um, sight words, practice pointing to objects. And when you're doing uh, the method, you're giving them support. You're giving them, if you think about it from like an occupational therapist's point of view, proprioceptive input at mm-hmm. their arm. And mm-hmm. the support that you can give is, is physical support. You're, again, not leading anybody to any answer, but you're providing resistance and like stabilization is the best way that I can describe it. And then you will feel the person move to whatever answer it is that they're choosing. So you're providing stability, resistance, support in a physical manner. And it can be, uh, it can be on the wrist. It can be on the forearm. 
the elbow, the shoulder, the back. Uh, of course, you're not providing resistance on the back, but at the shoulder level and the back, when you're to that level of, of support, it's more just a reassuring touch that, hello, mm-hmm. I'm here. We're supporting you. We believe in what you're saying. You know, keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're starting out, especially with the little guys, you want to think in terms of, of size of the target and number of choices, the target meaning a choice. So with a little guy, you might want to start with, you know, uh, two choices. And it can be literally, what do you want for breakfast this morning? Do you mm-hmm. want a waffle or do you want a pancake? So it can be two choices. And I think as a mom, I want you guys to all know, sometimes there's not unlimited choices for breakfast. Right. So it's okay to just do two choices because I'm not cooking eggs or I'm not cooking, you know, whatever. It's uh, You can mm-hmm. get a waffle or you can get toast or, you know, the two choices. So mm-hmm. taking a whiteboard and literally writing the words and saying them. So on the left side of the board, I would write W-A-F-F-L-E and then draw a perpendicular, a perpendicular line down the middle of the whiteboard. And I would say, okay, here's your waffle. On the other side, it's toast. T-O-A-S-T, toast. Here are your two choices, Nick. Then providing resistance at his forearm or arm or elbow or wherever he needs it so that you're knowing that this is him choosing. Um, he, you have him point to his choice mm-hmm. and pointing to waffle or pointing to toast. Now, sometimes what Nick will do is he will say verbally the last thing that he hears. The echolalia mm-hmm. piece kicks in. Mm-hmm. So quite often... I'll say, Nick, do you want a waffle or a or toast? And he will verbally say toast, but he will point to waffle. Mm-hmm. And so we always go with what he points to because we know that his language is unreliable. So from as a parent, you know, speaking to another parent, with if you, and I'm assuming it's a little guy we're talking about who's just learning literacy skills and learning choice making, you know, give them two choices and make them point, and whatever they point to is is the choice that they're making. And you will feel them move because as you provide resistance uh, and and have somebody do this on you, have somebody give you resistance at your forearm and then Mm -hmm. make a choice that you want. And that person will feel your intent as Mm -hmm. you make your choice. Mm -hmm. So that's the starting point. You have two large targets. uh, The number's two, so there's there's few. And you practice that. Once -hmm. you get like the two choices going and, and the greatest two choices ever in the world are yes and no. Mm-hmm. And that would be the one that you would do in, in all situations. Like if Nick pointed to waffle but said toast, yes, no is next. Did you mean waffle? Yes or no? And I would erase the board and put yes and no. And then okay. he could point to yes and confirm that that is his true authentic choice. Mm-hmm. So those two choices are huge. There's actually an app uh, for the iPhone. I think Android has it as well. And it's called um, Answers HD. And I want to say it's a dollar ninety nine. It's the best dollar ninety nine you'll spend, and it literally gives you a a green yes and a red no on your phone. And as you touch it, it verbalizes it. So there's voice output. So it's a hugely powerful thing, and anybody um, can can communicate with yes no. It's just a little harder for the person asking the questions to come up with the right questions. But mm-hmm. you know, does your head hurt? Yes no. Does your stomach hurt? Yes no. Does your throat hurt? You can really narrow it down to what's wrong, yes, no. So those two choices are the first way. And then from there, you're going to proceed to four choices. So now for breakfast, 
And then, you know, maybe for adults, you could do like a beverage. Do you want coffee, tea, or orange juice? Mm -hmm. And then the fourth one I always have, uh, especially for adults, is something else. So it's now Mm -hmm. multiple choice. Because what if the three that you put aren't what they want? They want milk and you didn't write it. So they have to point to something else and then you give more choices. So Mm -hmm. they, they learn then go from two choices to four choices and eventually 26 choices or a typing mm-hmm. keyboard. And again, mm-hmm. the targets are smaller at that point. So you need to really work with a, a partner when you're typing to give you that resistance and practice mm-hmm. so that you can hit those smaller targets in a field mm-hmm. of 26 versus a more obvious choice in a field of two or four. And okay. for parents, one of, the, one of the things that I learned early on is the SAT is multiple choice. Mm-hmm. academic tests, a lot of them are multiple choice, or if they're not, that can be an accommodation made in the classroom. So right. the sooner that you can teach reliable choice making, where you're supporting the person with either you know physical, emotional, and communicative support so they're successful, they can take academic tests and prove how smart mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, no, that's wonderful. Yeah. So that's, that's really, really helpful. Absolutely. That's how you get started uh, on the journey. Okay, great. No, that's really helpful, and it's been beautiful. We have one client here that's using the letter board and, and able to, you know, communicate very well with his uh, partner, and um, and so I can I can visualize very clearly what you're referring to, and just it's really helpful to hear the progression of how that that process started um, or how it starts, and and then when you get to that higher level of being able to, you know, for that for our clients to be able to actually type out sentences, um, exactly. And, yeah. Communicate amazing, you know, philosophical thoughts. Um, you know, we're just loving that is, seeing that happen. Yeah, and the thoughts that have been in there, you know, all the time, and and just didn't have an avenue to be expressed. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, it, it, it's true. It takes a lot of work and a lot of practice, but with dedication and with you know a support provider that really gets it. And mm-hmm. with trust and that emotional connection, I think, is really important. You, you know, they're, they're trusting you with their communication. It's a huge task. Right. Um, but you really build that relationship where you can share cool things right. um, that, are, that are meaningful and important. And it, it becomes an you know, advocacy for your own life and what do you mm-hmm. want out of life and, and self-determination, which is the new thing for adults. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Let people That's know huge. what you're thinking, and this is how we start. Right, and I'm glad you mentioned that relationship piece um, because that really is sounds like the most um, important component to being a successful communication partner. And you know, it's not about just getting in there and necessarily expecting a, a client that hasn't had this before be able to fully communicate in this way. It's having that trust and that that um, willingness to go through that initial learning process. Um, I think so. And I, I think part of it is, is being successful. So you want to build on that. So mm-hmm. small steps are perfectly okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would rather see, you know, small steps with simple choice making where the person is really telling you what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you respect it, of course, and, and, and do it. Or, you know, it can be as simple as ordering foods at a restaurant or, you know, choosing mm-hmm. what you want for breakfast or choosing what activity you want to do with your, your therapist that day. Or, you know, mm-hmm. maybe we're all like that. I mean, there are days when, you know, I don't really want to 
do anything but watch TV. You know, those mm-hmm. kind of mornings. Right. So to be able to ask, what do you want to do? And if it's something as simple as, I just want to listen to music, well, that's, that's a huge thing that you're respecting their choice. Mm-hmm. And that's how you build any relationship. Right. Um, when somebody's always doing their own agenda, I personally, I'm not that excited about it. Right, right. (laughs) Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. It's really honoring and and respecting the, you know, each person as a human being and as being valid, you know, having important and valid opinions and thoughts and and really wanting to hear those. Um, Now, one of the things I know I've, I hear a lot and and we really strongly believe in at TAG is um, the concept of um, presuming competence. And I would love to hear what this means to you and how you approach your work with this mindset. I think uh, it means that the person has the ability, that they, they know what's going on. They're smart. They, they, they have the ability to, to do what it is that you're asking of them. Um, but for maybe perhaps for a motor difference or a movement disorder, they're not able to complete the task. But that doesn't mean that you presume that they don't want to or that they don't have the knowledge and ability to do so. They're just perhaps need more support. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so an example would be, uh, I had a client that came to my house and she really wanted to come inside my house, but she was stuck out in the driveway and mm-hmm. couldn't make it in, whether it was through the door or whether it was just, you know, new places, anxiety of a new place or, or what it was. Um, we sat in the driveway for a little bit and we were, you know, communicating with each other, just very simple yes, no kind of questions and talking to each other. And I asked, you know, do you want to come inside my house? And the answer was yes. And then I asked her, you know, are you kind of stuck out here in the driveway? Yes. Is there anything I can do to help you and support you to come inside my house? Yes. What can I do to support you? And she typed walk with me. So I, we got up together and without holding her hand or doing any physical supports or, or putting my arm around her, or guiding her, or doing hand over hand, I just walked with her because that's what she wanted and that's what she told me. So it's that presuming that they know what they need and mm-hmm. honoring it. And we literally walked next to each other <laughs> into mm-hmm. the house and, and did our session. And mm-hmm. so I... When somebody, you know, tells you what they need, you have to respect it as well. Um, and then the other thing is to presume competence is your starting point that if, if I've introduced um, to a, a client who's an adult, um, I'm going to assume they know how to read because mm-hmm. most adults do unless they've never been to school and, you know, never have been around words and literacy and never been read to, perhaps then they might not know how, but the majority of adults are going to know how to read. And so mm-hmm. I approach a client uh, presuming that. And when we type together, I presume that they know how to spell. And if they mm-hmm. don't, and if we get kind of words that don't, you know, letters that don't go together and you can tell that they're struggling, then we can backtrack and perhaps go to choices where mm-hmm. I write the words out and they point rather than them spelling it. Right. So it, it's, a, it's age appropriate. It's educational appropriate. It's, you know, you just believe in the person. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One, and I have to share this story because my mom is a fabulous grandmother to all of my kids. And she has a great connection with my son. Mm-hmm. Um, my son just turned 19. And mm-hmm. we were talking to her in the car on the phone the other day. And, and she said, 
Nick, have you been a good boy? Mm -hmm. And I said, Mom, you don't ask a 19-year-old boy that. (laughs) So I think part of presuming competence is also in our in our the way that we interact and treat and yes. talk to people with disabilities. Um, it it needs to be age appropriate. Um, Absolutely. I, I presume at this point that Nick does not want to watch Disney movies anymore. I know he loves them, and I know that you know they provide a um, a comfort for him because you know they were fun when he was little and. You know, a lot of the stuff was on Disney and, you know, that sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. 19-year-old boys don't watch Disney movies. They watch, I don't know, you know, the shoot-em-up stuff. Right. Or or whatever it is. So we always give him the choice. You know, what movie do you want to watch? And I'll find him down there, you know, the Star Wars and that kind of stuff. He's totally into it. Mm -hmm. Who knew? Mm -hmm. Right. So I don't like that kind of stuff, but he does. Right. So I try to respect you know, his choices and what it is he wants. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And again, it goes back to really respecting him as an individual and that, of course, he would have those opinions and desires and, and interests. Uh, why wouldn't he? And, that's right. You know, I think that's just so and so essential. And, you know, it's just probably so reassuring that he knows he's going to be honored and and respected, um, you know, in spite of, you know, the the difficulty to verbalize it. But that doesn't mean that he can't have access to all of those things and have the ability to be able to communicate. So right, and at the end of the day, that's what it's all about is you want, you know, your life happy. Right. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. You want to be heard, you know, you want to, you yeah. want to be respected. And um, I think that's, that's such a, you know, it's a, a thread amongst all of us, <laughs> you know, as humans. Right, exactly. So impossible. Presuming confidence too is as he gets older, his, um, his palate, you know, the things that he's wanting to eat and try are different. And mm-hmm. I think that's like any person, as you get older, you tend to like things that perhaps you didn't like to eat when you were a child. Mm-hmm. So we're presuming confidence. We're going to offer him things that perhaps he didn't, you know, want to eat 10 years ago, but don't take the choice away. You know, he's older now and ask again. Maybe he wants right. it this time. So right. it, can, it can run the gamut. Presuming confidence can, it needs to be in every single phase of life, um, mm-hmm. like every single mm-hmm. part of life, every day. Absolutely. No, I love that. I love it. And um, that's wonderful. I'm so glad we had a chance to connect more about that today. And um, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about um, what a typical evaluation and consultation session um, would look like. So um, with that, we'll be back in a few minutes. Great. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Transformational healing includes energy medicine as well as hands-on healing. Tune in every week to Transformational Healing with Dr. Bonnie Morrow. If you want to know more about the business and science of energy fields, chakras, and the medical and spiritual community, join our expert guests as we work together to bring you closer to your personal health vision. Transformational Healing is heard live every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
At Therapeutic Approach to Growth, we offer comprehensive and holistic supports to individuals with developmental and acquired disabilities. Our programs include parent education and guidance, speech therapy, occupational therapy, educational and behavioral support, and counseling. We assume competence and believe in treating the entire family system. We offer both in-person and long-distance services. We support our clients in any environment, from home to school and beyond. Mention this show for a free consultation. To learn more, you can reach us at tagforgrowth.com. Therapeutic approach to growth. Biohacking for Health is working with your individual biology to gain access to and control over the systems within your body. It allows you to explore your biology and improve health and wellness. Each of us has unique genetic profiles and physiology that require individualized approaches. On Biohacking for Optimal Health, Dr. Daniel Stickler and his expert guests provide a roadmap to navigate the world of biohacking human potential. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Therapeutic Approach to Growth. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also reach Brooke Wagner via email to bwagner at tagforgrowth.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I'm host Brooke Wagner here, and today I have with me autism advocate and expert in supported typing, Nancy Brady, and we are discussing her inspirational story and journey as a mom to her son with autism, Nick, and how she has guided him to use supported typing as a means to communicate, and um, I want to make sure that we touch on um, what a, a typical evaluation and consultation session would look like, Nancy. Well, I think the best word that I can use to describe it would be very fluid because every kid and and person that you're going to be working with are are different. Um, They're going to be different on that particular day at that particular time. So whenever I I do an eval, it needs to be very uh, fluid and and there's a lot of movement involved. And sometimes we sit on the ground. Sometimes we we move from room to room. Um, So it's... It can look like anything. Um, I think as far as what type of content we're going to do is work on uh, initial choice making. I'll usually start with uh, two to four choices first. And depending on the age, we're asking relevant questions. So for perhaps a third grader, we might be talking about, you know, the planet and um, what they might be learning in school. Maybe Charlotte's Web is a book and, you know, what kind of um, animal is Charlotte, that sort of thing, and giving, you know, asking questions and giving them choices. Um, if they're younger kids, the content is going to be, you know, preschool type things, um, their colors, uh, perhaps numbers, you know, point to the number or whatever. Um, sometimes it's about, you know, Disneyland and Mickey Mouse and, um, you know, SeaWorld or whatever the things that, you know, the, that particular age um, is into. For adults, a lot of times we talk about current events, um, the election, uh, types of music they like to listen to. So the content of the evaluation also is important because I'm presuming competence. 
So I want to be respectful for what they're truly interested in. Mm-hmm. And there's a, um, a tool that I use called the language ladder. And basically, it's a guide to where you start with, with uh, predictable kind of questions that typically only have one answer. So you can start with pointing with four choices where you can say, you know, who is the president of the United States? And you give four choices and they point to the answer. And that mm-hmm. determines, you know, I feel how they move. Um, I feel if they know who the president of the United States is. So it gives me a lot of information back when I'm doing the eval. Mm-hmm. Um, for older adults who, you know, I'm assuming know how to read, I would do the exact same type of question, but I might use the iPad or a keyboard and ask them who is the president of the United States. And if they went to the letter O and then B, I'm pretty sure at this point that they know. <laughs> right. We finished typing. So if they didn't, like, well, or here's an example, they might go to P. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking in my head, P, what are they talking about? But then they go to R and then mm-hmm. E, and they're typing President mm-hmm. <laughs> Obama. So, again, the surprises are, are what's the best part of this is, you know, you never know the answer you're going to get. Um, but when you start, it's very predictable, and, you know, questions. It's questions with one answer where the, mm-hmm. the two of you together as a team can practice. You're practicing mm-hmm. your typing. You're practicing spelling Obama. You're practice spelling, you know, you ask, what state do you live in? That's a predictable, you know, question with one response. And then right. you can practice typing California. So that's the beginning of it. Um, and then the language ladder, as you, as you get better and better at that, and as a team, you kind of get comfortable with each other, you move up to questions that are perhaps less predictable, where there might be an answer, but you're not quite sure which one it is. An example of this would be um, one of my clients was watching a video of one of the Jonas Brothers uh, singing a song, and mm-hmm. the volume was turned down. I didn't know that which Jonas Brother it was, but it was mm-hmm. one of them. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. there's three. And I asked her, I said, what's his name? And she typed um, N-I-C-K. And I'm hoping that that was Nick because I didn't know the answer. So uh-huh. that was unpredictable where, you know, she could have typed something else and I wouldn't have known the difference because I didn't know who the Jonas Brothers are. Right. So, and that gets into the higher level communication where you're asking things that, you know, she, they, they might have an opinion of um, mm-hmm. and that you may not know the answer. And, and that takes a lot of trust and emotional support and, mm-hmm. you know, working with your your user um, and practicing. So Mm -hmm. you get to the higher level stuff. Now, um, Nick did some great stuff with message passing when he was really little, um, where he would tell me things that I didn't know had happened. And I'd have to go and confirm the story with somebody else. And sure enough, it happened. And Mm. so that's, that's really cool when you're actually gaining information that um, you did not know. And that's very that's at a level of very unpredictable language because you don't know what the answer is and it's right. open-ended. And right. those are, again, higher skills that you, you have to w- work on. So following that language ladder is really important and super helpful for getting started. And for mm-hmm. little guys, especially like, you know, in grade school, elementary school, you know, working on, on predictable stuff, multiple choice kind of stuff is just a great skill to have for mm-hmm. academics as well as communication. And um, okay. you, can, you can do that with choice making, 
on a whiteboard, or you can just do it by asking predictable questions that perhaps have one answer and practice typing that way. Okay. So oh, that's so wonderful. All of those things will be will be looked at in an evaluation. It'd be like, what is the best device? You know, what mm-hmm. what levels should people start practicing on? How many choices? And you know, what size target um, mm-hmm. is a good you know starting place for you? And so, usually by the first session, we try to give you know parents or, or support providers you know one task to work on to. Um, practice and get good at before we move up to the next task. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense so that you're systematically increasing the challenge um, Correct. as they and become also, more competent. We may, we may also suggest what type of device to use. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it may be perfectly okay to say, we're just going to use a whiteboard for mm-hmm. the next month. <laughs> Don't forget right. the iPad. We'll work on that. But we may suggest um, not only choices, size, but also uh, what type of device, whether it's low tech or high tech. And okay, whether they need a keyboard or, a key, excuse mm-hmm. me, a key guard over mm-hmm. their iPad. And um, that will also be uh, determined in the eval. Some people need it, some people don't. Okay. Oh, that's really helpful. Um, and I think that kind of really gives them that boost of a, of a starting point and for the team to know where to begin and, and to be able to start that journey um, through right. the, and, the and support for typing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Now, fading support is something we talk a lot about when supporting clients with autism, and I know this process must be very highly individualized when guiding a student through supported typing. Can you share more about how you analyze this reduction process? Well, the, ru- the rule of thumb is to always lo- use the least amount of support that's necessary. So mm-hmm. when I first meet a client, um, I give them the least amount of support that they need. Um, at the elbow, if they can do it, a little resistance at the forearm or the elbow, and if they're successful, then I'll move up right away and maybe do the shoulder and just give them a light tap tap on the shoulder. You can't really provide resistance at the shoulder, but you can provide a little bit of proprioceptive input saying, go on, go on, keep the rhythm, keep typing, keep moving, don't get distracted. And sometimes mm-hmm. just by feeling a little squeeze on your shoulder in, in a rhythmic manner, they're able to keep mm-hmm. the typing going and, and point to the next letter. So uh, we'll, I, I'll use a variety of, of support levels in, you know, in any conversation. So mm-hmm. as somebody is typing something that's perhaps um, very rote, like, if, like I gave the example of the President Obama example. Um, mm-hmm. I ask who the president is, and perhaps I'm giving some resistance at the forearm, and they, they go and type O. And then the next letter they type is B. At that point, I'm going to fade back because I know now that they're typing Obama because it's it's Mm a question I asked and they typed OB and I'm presuming competence. So I'm going to fade. And if they can hit that A independently or with a slight touch at their shoulder and and go on, um, the communicative and the emotional support I'm going to give them is going to go higher and the physical support is going to go down. So I Mm -hmm. will fade immediately. In the middle of a word, I will fade so that the least mm-hmm. amount of support is always needed. Does that make sense? No, oh, I want It makes a lot of sense, and yeah. it's what you're really doing, it sounds like to me, is just staying in the moment and staying connected and, and, and fluid, as you mentioned, you know, uh, with that uh, client to give them that, you know, that support in a way that you know, they're able to initiate as much as they can on their own. Absolutely, and I think one of the most important things to do is, again, the yes-no Independent yes, mm-hmm. no is hugely valuable. Mm-hmm. If you want to, you know, mm-hmm. relate it to school, it's, it's a true-false question. 
But if they can mm-hmm. reliably hit yes, no, independently, and by independent, I mean with a touch at the shoulder or the upper back, just to kind of keep mm-hmm. them focused, then that's kind of the goal that we're going for. And that should be worked on, you know, as soon as possible. Um, so mm-hmm. I can quite often provide resistance for a question that might be a little bit more um, uh, higher level communication or emotional, like, like I'm asking them, you know, are they sick and, and what is it that hurts you? And I might give mm-hmm. them more physical support if they're typing, you know, headache or something like that. And then I will mm-hmm. confirm it and I say, do you have a headache? And independent mm-hmm. yes, no confirms uh, the supported typing. So okay, you're well, that using makes a lot of sense. Fading, yeah, you're using and fading all the time. And the goal, of course, is independence. And there have been many, many, many typers in the United States and mm-hmm. around the world who have learned with physical support and now type independently. So, right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, we just have a few minutes to close, but um, I wanted to see if you could share in just one minute, very briefly, um, your most memorable experience supporting Nick in this way. I think my most memorable experiences are when he's able to tell me things about him that I did not know because he doesn't have the verbal language to share. So mm-hmm. when, when he was a young guy, um, he was fully included at a, a local school here in our area, and mm-hmm. he was able to tell me who he had the biggest crush on in his classroom. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff that, you know, you, sometimes as moms you don't ask, but I remember him typing, you know, I really, really like, and it was Caitlin <laughs> at the time, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget <laughs> it because that was the moment that he was able to share with me you know, what he truly was feeling, emotions, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and it was through typing. And I just thought that was very special. And I think we've had other instances where, you know, that sort of thing has, has occurred where it's getting to know who your kid really is. And mm-hmm. for us, typing has given us that gift that we might mm-hmm. not have known otherwise. Um, so for our family, it's been, yeah. it's been a life changer. No, oh, it sounds absolutely, absolutely beautiful and incredible. And um, I just want to close with um, if there's any website or information that families can look to to get more information about supportive typing, both, you know, nationally and internationally. Yes. Um, you can go to my website, which is supportedtyping.com. There's also some okay. videos of Nick typing on there that they can check out. Um, okay. There's another website, Los Angeles, West Coast People, reach.services. And that'll give you information. And if you're on the East Coast, it's uh, Syracuse University. It's the ICI, which is the Institute on Communication and Inclusion. So uh, those three can get you um, international support as well. And you can, of course, email um, or contact them directly uh, via their website. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Nancy. I feel like I learned so much just hearing you share your story and and your expertise with us today and our listeners. And I just really appreciate you being here and taking the time to do so and um, had a wonderful time. So um, with that, we're going to close. Thank you. Thank you. And um, we're going to go ahead and close and we'll be back next uh, Tuesday at 11 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Have a wonderful day.
Thank you again for listening. Be sure to tune in to Therapeutic Approach to Growth and join Brooke Wagner again every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.